0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the SportsNet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. It is Wednesday. It is one o'clock Eastern. That means one thing and one thing only. Greg Wyschinski from ESPN. Hello, Wish. Oh. Late. Well let me tell you what I just did a second ago. I'm gonna spring this one on Wish a couple of second a couple of seconds and maybe drag drag a couple of stories out of them. Uh, there was one year... Oh, we have him here? Okay, I'll drag it out of him when he's, uh, when he's aboard. Hello, Wish. How are you?
0: I don't like this. It sounds like an interrogation that I have just stepped into.
1: No, you might. Uh, put your head back. Here comes the drill. Um, so I just did... I was getting wow. on, your, uh, on your Twitter page, and so I typed, so I typed in Washinsky, and you know what the first thing that popped up was? What's that? Wishinsky pants. That Twitter feed is still very much alive, and that goes all the way back to 2013. Yeah. yeah. When you were there on are... our trade deadline coverage, there's a great picture of Deb Berman fitting you for a, with a beautiful pair. Deb Berman is our national stylist, the great Deb Berman, with a beautiful pair of beige pants. That Twitter mm-hmm. feed exists still. Who did Diary
0: Diarrhea pants
1: um that's what we call them i don't know
0: but yeah my diarrhea pants lived on an infamy um on Sportsnet. uh the second greatest thing that ever happened during my time uh as a a guest on the trade deadline show the first of course being the time when um doug McLean uh wanted to beat remember he wanted to beat me up (laughs) at the pub so okay,
1: let me let me let me pull back the curtain on this one. So that was that same trade deadline, I think, wasn't it? So it after deadline, uh it's it's a long one. Wish is going out for a beer. I'm like, ah, I got stuff to do. I'm just gonna go home. And so I don't know, what it was like nine thirty or ten o'clock, I get a phone call from Greg. Um, Doug McLean's gonna beat me up. I'm like, what? He's like, Oh yeah, he's mad and he wants he wants to beat me up in the bar tonight. <laughs> What the, did you do The reason again? was,
0: so the reason he wanted to beat me up was that <laughs> you were hosting a segment that had all of these old uh, NHL executives. By old, I mean oh, former strategy you know, room. guys that used to be strategy, strategy room, right? And um, <laughs> and and Doug was one of them. And so uh, when they cut to me and uh, Gord Gord Stelick, uh for our segment, we were talking about the trade deadline and, and the stakes that are inherent for any general manager with the trade deadline. And I think I made some joke uh-huh. that was like these GMs better watch themselves or they'll they'll end up in the in the in like the GM graveyard or the fired GM room on SportsNet next year with Merrick. <laughs> and so like Doug took that personally that I, I referenced but, the fact okay. that
1: I Yeah. Uh... It's funny, too, because years later, when we would reminisce about that show, and I, I do have a behind-the-scenes story on that that I just most recently found out about. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure that, yeah, it was Doug. Doug used to call that uh, the Je- the Dead General Manager Society. Yeah. Like, oh, who do you have on the Dead GM Society show coming up next month, Merrick?
0: Yeah, so I think he probably stole that from me. But wh- what happened was is that he got upset about it for some reason. Probably because, like, what I said was relayed to him incorrectly. And uh, and he, he met me at the front of the pub as I was walking in to, like, the Sportsnet party. And, like, just growl. Uh, he and I have talked about this subsequently. So I'm not, like, spilling tea here or anything. But, like, uh, yeah. he, he was, like, growling and scowling. and Who do you think you are? Blogger boy. Rah, 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 kind of stuff. <laughs> and, like, really laying into me. Yeah. And, and, and I, in, in a way that made me think that he was going to punch me in the face. And I'll never forget. Uh, that after that, I was like a little shaken, you know, I'm new on the sports net scene. I'm not necessarily used to these dynamics. I'll never forget our, our friend Chris Johnston walking over and, and just like putting his hand yeah. on my shoulder and saying, saying, wish it's a badge of honor. <laughs> and, that was, <laughs> and that
1: was that, uh, you haven't made it until you have a GM live it at you. We've all had those experiences. Well, that strategy room. Like first of all, I loved doing that. Like I, I loved hosting that. I found that endlessly. Fa- it was a, all set for those that don't remember. It was all set, and it was set in a boardroom. It was shot in a boardroom at Sportsnet, and it was the original idea was it was all general managers. Like in order to be part of this panel, uh, you had to be a GM. Then it got watered down, and everybody was was hopping in on this thing, and it sort of lost a lot of its focus. But what um, what one of, our, uh, one of our managers told me years later is that whole room was created uh, as a project to try to get Bob McCowan into hockey. That if they couldn't get him huh. on hockey coverage, maybe they could create this, like, GM's room where it would be all power topics and money and all that. And that was their way that they were going to lure McCowan into doing it. Uh, Bob turned it down, and they went to door number two, Me. <laughs> so thanks for turning it down, Bob. Because I love. it. I know. <laughs> and and, that, and, and, I'm and happy I happy to think be you number should... two in that one.
0: <laughs> I still think you should have hosted the the panel with sunglasses on. But regardless, the the um it, it was great. such a keen idea because honestly, like getting those guys to open up to you when you're off mic, when you're having a beer, like you could. It, it's easy. They they they're more than happy and willing to talk about where the bodies are buried or how trades happened or didn't happen or which guys they acquired were like 20 pounds overweight and they were like really mad and all like all that, all that stuff comes out when you're off mic. you managed to get some good stuff on mic, which I thought was great. I've always thought that there was a lane in podcasting or hockey media to do what uh, Conrad Thompson does in the wrestling space, which is he sits down with like Eric Bischoff and talks about like, Yep. What happened in WCW to make it fall apart or whatever. I always thought that there was a lane where if you could find the right GM of the right team from the right era and, and literally go year by year on a what happened basis. You know, tell me about this trade. Why didn't this guy resign? 100%. What happened here? Dude, that'd be the greatest thing ever. But the problem is finding the guy that would do it. There's one guy that probably would, which is Brian Burke. But other than that, finding the right guy to do yep. it is the toughest part of that gig.
1: There are so many. I mean, my my number one is no longer with us. I was meant, it's funny you mentioned this because I was talking a lot about uh, this yesterday on the program. Um, and I feel that general managers, when their career is over, have an obligation to, to tell where the bodies are buried. Just like as a way to color in hockey history. Like we keep talking about good of the game, good of the game. Well, how about the good of the history of the game and color in what happened? See, mine was always Bill Tory. There are so mm-hmm. many things. Like, yeah. how did you do that from a blank piece of paper to a dynasty? Like, you know, who were the players that the Montreal, the five players that Montreal Canadiens offered you for the first overall draft pick because they wanted to get Dennis Potvin? Like, who were those yeah. guys? Like, you're not going to hurt anyone's feelings by this point. But we, and here's the other point that I keep keep right, referencing Jason Ferris's book. Uh, on the show yesterday, behind the moves, but I think anyone who's interested in roster construction and the the art of being a general manager, everyone should should definitely have that on their bookshelf. Um, you know, one of the one of the one of the most in, intriguing things about being a manager here is that managers, and that's why I was glad Berkey did. Managers don't write books. How many books do you have yeah. from ex players? Wish how many books do you have from ex oh. coaches? We have a t- I've and I'm the same way. A ton of books from officials, right? But mm-hmm. well, we don't have any literature from ex-general managers. There are a couple. Yeah, and if you, if you, know, you do, uh, if you do then it's not – it, r- But I was
0: going to say, it's not like the Burke book if you do. If, if you do, it's going to be one of those nonsense like leaders, colon, leadership by leadership and how we lead kind of things. It's never like the <laughs> pull back the curtain, burkey's law thing. That's the problem.
1: Yeah, like you know, Brian Burke. I remember uh, one of our first. And we we mentioned this on the uh, on the old podcast, and I think we did a thing on it in the uh, in the Hey Burkey features, like stuff about you know Gary Bettman's first manager meeting. And Gary's celebrating 30 years as the commissioner of the NHL. You know, in that very first manager meeting, and, and Brian Burke was was riding shotgun with Gary at that point. This would have been after Hartford, I believe. Um, and at the first managers, you can imagine, you know, Gary Batman comes in from the NBA's first managers meeting and there is a disagreement over a player signing. Montreal had signed someone, and it was an inflated price was going to affect everybody else. And Bob Gainey, who at that point would have been running the Minnesota North Stars, was livid. And there was a disagreement, and the voices got raised, and the next thing you knew, everybody was clearing away chairs and tables, and Gainey and Savard were rolling up the sleeves, <laughs> and and Bricky tells me, Batman turns to him and says, Brian, what's going on? And Brookie turns to Gary Bettman and says, Well, Gary, we're going to see a fight. And I can only (laughs) imagine, like, this is the NHL. This is the NHL. Like, these are two, like, legends of the game. Like, Montreal Canadiens dynasty. Bob Ganey and Serge Savard rolling up their sleeves. Like... If you, and then you learn later on, like, they didn't exactly get along when they were teammates uh, yeah. with the Montreal yeah. Canadiens it played itself out at this manager's meet. But, like, stuff like that, like, that is part of the lore. That is, And the, to your point, you're right. Like, these guys are only too happy to tell you these stories as long as you're not holding a microphone or holding a pen uh, or, you know, on your laptop or, you know, anything like that. But I think these stories need to be part of hockey history. They need to be part of, you know, hockey stories. You know what happened, like the dynamics between all the other managers. To me, that is a, and I'm with you. That is a completely untapped area of podcasting. I remember once, now you got me thinking about this. I remember once Hmm. having a conversation, and Neil Smith. I hope I'm not telling tales out of school. Neil Smith pitched me on the idea. He said, "How do you think a podcast with me and Mike Keenan would do?" He goes, everybody <laughs> thinks we can't stand each other. That might be, and I said, maybe as a limited run, maybe, but, like, why not? You know, yeah. any anything like that, as long as you're speaking openly and honestly and no one's, you know, no one's getting really upset and your nerves aren't close to the skin, I think stuff like that can be, like, to me, there's so much untapped here, and it all revolves around the managers of the game, Wish. All revolves you, around the managers.
0: You, you should recycle that idea and do uh, Bruce Boudreau and Jim Rutherford.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or Jim, or Bruce Boudreau, and Patrick Galvin, and who knows yeah. uh, who who else? How, how else. do you read that right now? How do you read all of it right now? Let's dovetail to Vancouver here. We've got Vancouver tonight on the network. It's Vancouver and Calgary, and you know, I was making the point earlier. Like, how bad does it have that you have your captain issue the statement that he did yesterday? Like, how bad is it that that has to come out from your captain? Why do you? How do you read the Vancouver
0: situation right now? I don't know. I I didn't see it as bad. Like, I I think that's negotiations are tough and and obviously they they, they couldn't come to an agreement on something. But I I read that more as him knowing the market that he's in, him knowing where the team is in the standings, him knowing that the conversation is going to be much more about his future than it is about anything hockey related and just trying to shut it down. Like, that's how I read that. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a, har- a good harbinger if you're a Vancouver fan that wants Bo Horvat to stay with the team. No question about that. Like, that is not a good sign. Yeah. But I read that statement as much more like, I'm going to put this out here so you guys stop bugging me about it. And, and that's sort of where I thought he was coming from.
1: You know, I mentioned this in the first hour. Someone a couple of weeks ago told me, because we're all wondering, okay, is Horvat gone? Where is he going to go? Colorado seems the most, you know, likely destination short-term, you know, long-term. Does Boston make sense depending on Bergeron? Does uh, Philadelphia make sense depending on Couturier, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? You know, and someone who's very close to it in, in BC said, you know, don't forget one thing, that, you know, with this ownership group, they don't let star players go. They Mm -hmm. don't. You know, Kessler asked for a trade. You know, Luongo was at the end, um, and and that's how he got out. But he said, like, look, like, this is an ownership group that doesn't let stars leave. We all thought JT Miller was gone, right? I did. I'm sure you did as well. You know, what were we all talking about at the draft in Montreal? What are the Rangers going to give up? You know, can they still Mm -hmm. keep Schneider and, 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 and get JT Miller? Everybody. Trade deadline. Oh, he's going to the Penguins. No, he's going to the Colorado Avalanche. No, he's going blah, 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 blah. And he never went. And then he got yeah. signed. And we all went, huh? And I just can't <laughs> help but thinking maybe the same thing happens with Bo Horvat, where we're all thinking trade, 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 and they've gone as far as they want. And then this person reminded me, this ownership, this ownership doesn't let star players go. They just don't wish.
0: And, and that might be good information to keep in mind for his representation, too. I mean, once a team gets made, once their M.O. gets made, as far as, like, they're not going to pay, they are going to pay, they're going to overpay, then you could start playing the game a little bit, right? So maybe there's a confidence Mm -hmm. in this negotiation that if the first offer isn't up to snuff, eventually the person who signs the checks will come through with the money that you're looking for.
1: All right. Uh, Other than Vancouver because that, is, that has provided so much, you know, so many protein shakes for what we do for a living that we really <laughs> do owe Vancouver a big thank you because it's never like this, this tap turned on early and no one's been able to turn it off, so thank you. Uh, who else intrigues you out there? Like Vancouver, I, I, I could just do a Canuck show every day is what it feels like. Who else intrigues you out there right now?
0: Nashville. Like, not only because the team's underperforming, uh, and and it's interesting. Like you look at Nashville and St. Louis in the standings right now, and you know St. Louis is like, it, it's like one of those uh, faucets that you get in a hotel sometimes where there's no middle ground. It's either searing your skin or it's absolutely freezing. <laughs> like there's no middle ground for St. Louis. They're either on a, a six game bender or they've lost seven in a row. Like there's no middle ground. But they're both those teams are kind of on the outside looking in right now in a, in a competitive division and in a competitive conference. And in Nashville's case, you know, there's a lot of players that are on contract well beyond this season. Uh, you have a general manager who, I mean, I, one of the discussion points at the Board of Governors while I was there this week was this idea that maybe he misplayed his hand on the waiver wire. And I think a lot of Predators fans kind of feel the same way. And so you... Nashville's fascinating because I don't know if there's a way out of the roster they currently have. And I'm not entirely sure how they're going to address that. I mean, firing the coach is one option, moving the GM upstairs. Like they've talked about for years is another option. And then in the corner is a big old elephant friend, a big old elephant with a lot of career victories behind the bench, big old elephant that happens to have a newly purchased home in the Nashville area. Named Barry Trotz, and where does he fit into this equation, if at all?
1: Do you not get the sense, though? Okay, because I've wondered about Barry Trotz in Nashville as well, but do you not get the sense that if Barry Trotz goes back to Nashville, that it'll be as a manager and not as a coach?
0: Yep. Or may, maybe you may might keen in it for the rest of the season. How about that? Get, I get, get the, the last. Can. I don't know. The you, last I don't, drops I, of I don't know. coaching juice out of you.
1: I don't know. I don't know that you can. The responsibilities for both right now. Like you. Once upon a time, you could. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you. I don't know that. Jeez, wish you look H- at what both those positions are. Yeah. I, I don't know. That, I, I, how many hours does Barry Trotz have in his day? How many days does he have in his week? Is it the same as us? Because if he does, uh, then there's no chance.
0: This is going to sound That's, wacky, but I I,
1: I know a lot of coaches, like, I'm sure Patrick Waugh, when he was in Colorado, wanted yeah. that. You know, I'm sure there's other coaches that have wanted that security. I just, you... I wonder if he it. could... Pull...
0: Make, 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 well, make, well, make it work I, I, for I, me. I don't know if I could because I, I, I think the way he could he would have made it work was if Lane Lambert was still with him. I really think it could work then. Like right. Lambert is your your associate coach, you, you kind of give him the reins and you're sort of a, a GM but also a bench manager versus like really handling the day to day. I mean, I think it's possible, but let me let me transition to another question for you. Taking okay. Daryl Sutter out of the equation. Taking Daryl Sutter out of the equation. Which yeah. current coach do you think could be the one that m- would be most uh, adept at pulling off the coach GM thing if they could? Which guy could do it? You know, I've
1: always I've always wondered about Paul Maurice.
0: Yeah, it's the first one I thought of. I've too. always wondered.
1: Yeah. I've always wondered if if Paul Maurice could pull could pull that off or if paul maurice just maybe by the end of his career like obviously he's still got you know coaching juice left in him but if maybe eventually that's a that's a that that's a that's a thing that he wants to do Mm -hmm. i think that paul paul has that paul thinks that way Mm -hmm. and understands that position and a is a great communicator first of all um and b has i mean he's we always talk about hockey lifers there's a hockey lifer um that would be the guy that jumps to mind right away for me here's another one for you
0: john Tortorella. you think so (laughs) i do i mean i i think you make a great contract negotiator
1: (laughs) i think put it this way We've always talked about what arbitration, like if you could turn salary arbitration into a TV show, mm-hmm. you go into salary arbitration with John Tortorella as a manager at the other. Like we all know the, the stories about, you know, making, you know, the Tommy Salo cry in arbitration, et cetera. Yeah. John Tortorella in an arbitration hearing would be must watch television.
0: I would love uh, John Tortorella I won- on a trade I, I wonder call.
1: about I wonder about torts. I would love John
0: Tortorella John on a Tortorella, trade call. I- we're not doing this deal unless you unprotect the lottery pick.
1: <laughs> John Tortorella at the uh, at a general manager's meeting, breaking off into discussion groups about changes <laughs> to the game. <laughs> Honestly, I do I, I do wonder I do wonder about Tortorella as a general manager one day. Tortorella, to, Tortorella and uh, yeah, and and Paul Maurice. Those are those are my two. What about you? Short,
0: but you see, Maurice makes sense because I always feel like Maurice has a scope of his job that goes beyond X's and O's. And, and I was scrolling through all the, yes. the coaches in the league right now, and I was trying to figure out which guys are like that. Like, like Mike Sullivan to me is one of the most intelligent guys that you could come across. Like I love Mike Sullivan, but I don't think, like yeah. when I think of Mike Sullivan, I think of a guy in a windbreaker. I certainly don't think of a guy in a suit, you know, like <laughs> all the time, you know, at the GM meetings. And yeah. so you think about some of these guys that, that, that have had huge success in their careers and, um, and might have the pedigree where you'd say, okay, maybe they can handle a bump upstairs. And then you think to yourself, well, do I really see them wanting that life or excelling at that life when, when their life is blowing on the whistle and smelling Zamboni fumes all day? Hmm. Like, Keenan Here's was perfect for it because he's, he's a megalomaniac. Like, Keenan, Keenan could easily be a GM because that just means another level of control. Same thing with Patrick Waugh. You need control. a real megalomaniac to do both jobs. And, and both those guys <laughs> have the shared DNA of, like, they, they ruled with an iron fist. Yeah.
1: I I think of Tortorella like that, but I don't think of Paul Maurice like that, but I can see them both as general managers. Right. Like yeah, I, don't, I, don't one, I don't think there's one... I, like, I don't think that there's necessarily just one way to do this. Like, I did, wa- I did wonder about that when John Tortorella was hired by the Philadelphia Flyers. Like, first of all, you know that, you know, uh, well, first of all, Bobby Clark, you know, the, and the Fletcher family, we know that association. But two, you'd have to think that Bobby Clark and Paul Holmgren would be all over this hiring to begin with. And I wonder if part of them sees, you know what? Maybe somewhere down the road, we hire him as a coach. But maybe the long term play is manager. I don't know. I mean, this if, is just Wednesday how, afternoon sports talk radio. But part of me wondered about that.
0: How far down the road are we looking here? Because um, um, it could be two months from now. <laughs> like, I know they might weeks, have an opening
1: pretty two pretty months. Soon. Yeah. who's getting yeah, two know, months two in weeks. Philadelphia?
0: Who, who's getting that's yeah. what I'm saying? Like if you really <laughs> wanted months. to kind of push this experiment over the line, I mean, there's going to be an opening pretty soon in Philadelphia. Yeah.
1: So I, I, I don't know that it would be uh, it, it would be anytime soon necessarily. I, uh, like, I I still, like, Philadelphia is interesting because, you know, there are, like, I've, like, you know, there are some teams where you wonder, okay, did the GM really make that move? Or was that a decision Hmm. that was made above the manager's head and the manager at that point is there to execute? Like, you know, your boss tells you to do something. Hey, guess what? You do it. Yeah, we literally just talked about one in in Vancouver.
0: (laughs) We literally just talked about one in Vancouver. Them. That's that's kind of the thing, right? Is no. which which moves. Are the... I listen. So what think, do we keep? Think... What do we
1: keep hearing from? What do we what do we keep hearing? What do we keep hearing from managers? One of the most interest. One of the one of the one of the skill sets you have to have now, more so than ever, is the ability to manage upwards. You got to you got to manage your president. You got to manage your ownership. Like that is you got to manage you know, all the all the consultants that were around and are around every single team. Like that's why I say that you you can't. Have a dual portfolio anymore because when it was general manager on down, like top down position, okay, sure, maybe you could do that, but now the amount of like you know neck rubs and foot massages you have to give above you, <laughs> holy smokes, who's got time to do that and coach? Who does? <laughs> <laughs> you don't. Oh
0: boy, they now I'm thinking about Torts right? giving a neck nope. rub. I feel like I feel so like Torts squeezing a, in a... someone. Yeah, I think I think Torres is an aggressive masseuse. I don't think, I don't think there's any, any sort of exotic <laughs> oils. I think he just gets you know right that, in there. Um,
1: you, you know that John Tortorella was almost choked out in Philadelphia when he was on the Buffalo Sabres bench, don't you? Do you know that story? No. It's a great one. So this is when John Tortorella was a, an assistant coach with the Buffalo Sabres, and they were playing in Philadelphia, and you know what Flyers fans are like. We all know what Flyers fans are like. And there was one that was you know, sort of overly aggressive and really giving it to Torts. And I guess at the, end of a period, at the end of the period, all the guys, you know, leave the bench to go to the dressing room. And Torts whips around to yell at the guy. But as he whips around, and maybe this is now why he wears a sweater over his tie. I don't know. Maybe I've discovered something here. As he whips around, his tie goes over the glass. And so the guy grabs his tie, puts his feet up on the glass, and starts pulling. Like choking <laughs> tort- Tortorella oh on the God. glass. Now, oh Jim, yeah, Jim Pizzatelli, Jim Pizzatelli, who's a trainer for the Buffalo Sabres, who is the one that saved, by the way, that saved Clint Malarchuk's life, a former Vietnam medic, snaps into action, grabs his scissors and cuts John Tortorella's tie. Tort stumbles, stumbles back, you know, falls into the arms of whoever's uh, whoever's on the bench, and it's again Jim Pizzatelli to the rescue. And that mm-hmm. happened in Philadelphia. Maybe that's why John Tortorella wears a sweater over the, uh, the shirt and tie now to make sure that he like, watch torts behind the bench. Maybe that's why he doesn't wear <laughs> the, uh, the open
0: ties anymore.
1: All well, it does also explain why he's as an assistant coach with the Buffalo Sabres.
0: It also explains why he once threw a water bottle at a fan. it has got some, some PTSD from being on the bench. <laughs>
1: I think it's been a lot of coaches that have wanted to do that. I don't think that, I don't think that, put it this way. If, if you're, if you're a coach who's wanted, who who wants to throw a water bottle at a fan, don't feel special. Everybody mm. has wanted to throw a water bottle at a fan behind the bench. Uh, one thing I want to, I want to, I want to get to here. You mentioned the board of governors and uh, you were in lovely West Palm. Um, mm. And the newsworthy thing coming out of this whole thing is salary cap and maybe $1 million. And maybe I'm, you know, too grassy knoll on this one, but to me, that looks like Gary Bettman saying to the Players Association, who are still in the, we believe, final stages of naming a new executive director, to me, that's the NHL saying, You want this to go up? Let's negotiate. Because he already chummed the waters with $4 million earlier, comes back with this one at $1 million, unless, you know, Boston and Toronto and Vegas and whoever else goes deep in the playoffs, the Rangers comes back and says, nope, it's $1 million. I look at that, and I always look at, okay, what's the conversation between the NHL and the PA? And I look at that and say, is that a message to whomever the new executive director is that we are open to negotiate? You want this higher? Tell us what cookies cookies you're ready to give us.
0: Yeah, and the tell is that Bettman kind of went into that spiel without really being prompted uh, at the Board of Governors meeting. I mean, he was he's taking questions that were asked of of the the salary cap range and and really pivoting hard to this notion of, Hmm. well, we haven't talked about whether there's any negotiation to be had. The managers haven't, you know, the board of governors haven't asked for it, and yada, yada, yada. And you could tell that there is a sort of a winking acknowledgement that the PA is is part of this equation. And I spoke to a PA source yesterday um, who said, yeah, the idea of, negotiating uh, what's called the smoothing of the salary cap space um, that would be in between the $1 million increase and the 4 plus million increase, depending on if escrow is paid off. They've, it's on their radar. They haven't made the, the formal ask of the NHL or anything like that, but it's on their radar. And And so, yeah, it was all very much a signal to the Players Association yesterday that you know, we haven't talked about negotiating and you guys haven't asked about negotiating, but, you know, negotiating, negotiating, negotiating. Let's just put it, that word out into the world for a little <laughs> while and see what comes back, you know?
1: Yeah, no. I, uh, what, what else stood out from you other than, you know, it was sunny? Um, you know, there were waves. Um, you know, you got to wear shorts and flops. Uh, we're all jealous. Uh, what did you take away
0: from I, the, uh, the beauty? I did not. I, I was in a full suit the entire time um stop it. and it was a stop, real stop, a real stop, i was stop. i was in a real suit with a tie when you're at the breakers in palm beach it's all right because that used to be what no, I was required of gentlemen during the day um so two things stood out for me first of all the digital board ads discussion is increasingly uncomfortable uh because i don't know who the nhl is polling maybe their employees but their 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 100% yeah. endorsement of this technology versus what you see on any given game night on social media is is completely different it's night and day now the NHL doesn't really have to care about this though the technology is here it's not going anywhere it, it, over time it'll probably yeah. get better and mm-hmm. from their perspective the fact that revenue for this experiment has output has out kicked its coverage it's they're making more money than they thought they would means it's definitely here to stay so i i hope that they do hear the feedback though the one thing that really bothers me and yeah there's going to be glitches like i I still can't believe that they they tested all this stuff and didn't maybe they didn't open the board the, the the door to the bench because every time that happens there's a glitch um <laughs> yeah. I also would like if players and pucks didn't disappear within the digital ads. There's probably ways to remedy that. I just don't want them to make a move during the game. That's it's just I don't I understand why they're doing the it. It catches it catches your eye. If there can be a happy middle ground between the I hate the technology and get rid of it people and Gary Bettman, it's maybe not have the the Range Rover drive around the boards as the guys are playing the puck. I mean we don't have to have Here, that. We we just don't. You know what you know what.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that cause, because you know where I, I think that's bad? Like, I think if you've watched the game for, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, however long, you kind of know what's happening or where the puck is based on body position. Okay? The you of the players. you can see where everyone, yeah. where, yeah, you, 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 you kind of get a sense of it. But, you know, someone told me years and years ago, and it's always stuck with me imagine you've never watched the game before. You know, we always think like, oh, the puck is easy to see, you know, because we've just grown up identifying with it and seeing. He said, said, trust me, the puck is hard to see. When you're new to this sport, the puck is hard to see. And it moves faster than ever. And I'm just thinking to myself, if I'm someone new that's curious about hockey, first of all, Mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to see the puck. And it might take a while to like get adjusted to you know, where the bodies are and where they're positioned and get an understanding of game flow and, and where the puck should be and kind of assume that it's there. And now you throw this other thing in here, which is movement on the boards that is drawing my eyes away from what I am trying to watch. If I'm a new fan, that's really frustrating. Like, I think oh, this yeah. is a good idea. I think this is a really good idea and obviously a great revenue source for the NHL. I just think that it, it's one that still needs a massaging, that still needs, needs some work. And I don't know. Like, I understand that if, from the commissioner's point of view, you have to defend it. I just don't know why you have to be so strong. You can say, like, look, we're trying this out. There's going to be growing pains, but we're heading somewhere really good with this. Just bear mm. with us.
0: That's all. Yeah,
1: they need, That's they need all. to sell it better. And say, it if just I'm just if I'm, if I'm a new fan, this is tough. This is tough. Yeah, man. it just, this is tough to it it just
0: showed play. up, and they're like, here it is. You're going to like it. And we're like, wait, why? You didn't tell us why we should. Uh, it, what you just said <laughs> reminds me of when they introduced the Skycam into the NFL. Like that for those like Madden type Hmm. shots, you know, from behind the quarterback, and you'd sometimes see it dangling on on the in the shot over the field, and it's moving in in a way that that players don't, and you're just kind of disoriented by it. So that's a good point. The other thing I wanted to bring up, it's in our story today that me and Emily Kaplan wrote about what we heard at the GM at the board governors meetings. I talked to Colin Campbell for a while, who's the VP of Hockey Operations Mm -hmm. for the NHL, and. He bought up something really interesting that we wrote about today on ESPN, which is high-sticking penalties. There was, a, there was a play, you probably remember it, from the uh, Flames and Leafs game where Huberto took a mm-hmm. high-sticking penalty in overtime. And it was real ticky-tacky. Like It was just sort of like irresponsible stick work, <laughs> but not necessarily anything heinous. You know what I mean? And so Coley said, yep. um, these rules were written at a time when... No one really wore visors, and we had to be very, very careful about sticks being anywhere near a player's face. And his contention is, should there be a conversation about relaxing certain high-sticking rules, where a play that's like the Huberto play isn't a penalty? What do you think about that?
1: The only reason, the only reason I would say no because is because sticks can still get under visors. And Mm -hmm. uh, the bottom half of your face is still exposed. I think that if we go to full cages or bubbles or whatever you want to do, then I think you look to lax it. But until then, to me, high sticks are still dangerous and maybe even more dangerous when a stick gets, I mean, you've seen it before. When a stick gets trapped inside a visor, I'd Mm -hmm. rather have a stick just smack you in the face or smack me in the face and bounce off. You yeah. get a stick underneath the visor, then you're in trouble. So maybe if the NHL goes to full face shields, I'll listen to that conversation. But right now, like there's going to be a couple of botched calls. I get it. But in the name of safety, I'd rather you know live with a couple of bad calls than have some happen you know, horrendously to someone's eyes.
0: Yeah. And, and most of the you? suspensions this year, by the way, have been stick fouls, which I thought was interesting, too. Um it may be, maybe yeah. there's, like, a level of responsibility from players yeah. as far as trucking each other, but not necessarily with their sticks. No, I don't think that we should... Go ahead. Sorry.
1: I was going to say, um, one of the things... And I'm going to play this you know, Todd McClellan piece here in a couple of seconds. Um, one of the things we don't see a lot, really, in the game anymore... I mean, you do it, but not like it used to be, is hitting from behind. Mm-hmm. It's not like it used to be. Like, I think I think this is thankfully, um, finally, evolving itself out of the game. Anyway, uh, make your last point, and we got to hustle. What were you saying?
0: Yeah, real quick, I I wouldn't get rid of— I wouldn't relax the high-sticking stuff. I I was sort of surprised Coley said that. I understand why he said it. He's an old-school guy. But uh, A, I wouldn't do it, and B, uh, you know, the idea of of making the game less safe is probably— and and, and Campbell acknowledged this, too— is not something that Gary Bettman is going to let fly under his watch. It's one of those deals where if you— You do something that you think helps, you're going to create probably 17 more problems by doing it.
1: Always remember, there is a lot of money invested in the health of these players by owners that would like to see a return, uh, and they would like to see them protected. Thank you very much. Uh, Fun times as always, bud. Uh, Welcome back from Florida, and we look forward to chatting again in seven days, my friend. You'll be good.
0: Thank you kindly. Take care.
1: There he is, the great Greg Wyszynski from ESPN. Wednesdays means MVSW. Man, it's so fun to be on with Wish every week.